And we are live. This is Beat People Podcast, episode 69. Interview with an innovator. Roger Lynn joins us today. And, you know, if you... Um, if you watch the show, you probably know who Roger Lynn is. If you've ever used any kind of drum machine or anything, or you you <laughs> dig NPCs, you probably know who Roger Lynn is. He's the creator of the Lynn drum, the NPC, and the Lynn instrument. And we have him on the show today. And it's a uh, it's a great honor to, to have him here. So hey, Roger Lynn, welcome to the show. Hi, Corey, and uh, hi everybody. Uh, and uh, I'm pleased to be here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So hey guys, um, huh? just to cut everybody off right now, I'm hearing yeah, like squeal some, some from humming. somebody. Yeah, it's yeah, like some humming. I don't know who that background. is. I muted myself, so I know it's not me. Uh, Steel and Corey, you want to try that? It's still there. So I'm muted. I think it's Rod. Is it an instrument playing? Uh, there's no sound coming here. Yeah, I don't know. Oh yeah, it's Roger. That's fine. You know, we'll, we'll just we're good. We'll, we'll live with it. So, uh. Ken, I can't hear you. What's up? Oh, my bad. I was saying, yeah, it's Roger, and I don't know if you got feedback going on or an instrument that's being leaned on or something, but we're getting like a high-pitched squeal. Uh, well, it's... Uh, it just I, I'm not here. here. Yeah, it just yeah, it's gone. Yeah, it's gone. It's gone. It's gone. Yep. Cool. Okay. All right, so we're good now. So okay. uh, we got people in the chat, and, you know, they'll be chiming in. We'll be throwing them up here from time to time, and one person says, thanks for the NPC. How often oh, do you hear that welcome. in your everyday life? How often do you hear that? Well, you know, it's it's very nice. I'm in a great position, uh, and I do get a lot of compliments uh, from uh, people who uh, write into my support email, uh, and, you know, it feels great. Uh, the reason I do this is to, uh, to influence music, uh, more than I could as a feeble musician. So uh, when people who have more talent than I tell me that I've made something that inspires them to make better music, it feels great. I, I never tire of it. it, it uh, uh, it's great. I love it. So, so I have two major questions. One question I'm going to save till later, but let me get this first one out the way. Uh, when you laid, when you thought of the 16-pad layout, what were you thinking? Were you thinking musically or, or were you thinking just uh, uh, from a drum aspect? Well, it's interesting because the first um, instrument that I made with um, uh, touch-sensitive pads was uh, for my first company. It was called the Lin 9000, and mm-hmm. I had a 8 by 3 matrix. In other words, excuse me, 6 by 3 So it was six rows, uh, three rows of six pads each because mm-hmm. it felt like since your hands are next to each other, it should be wider than, um, than it is uh, taller or, or deeper. Uh, but then I... Um, uh, made a, another uh, version of the same product that I called the Lindrum MIDI Studio, which actually was ill-fated. It was never released because my company went out of business before it was released. And for that, uh, I wanted to standardize on the rack mount width. So the idea was to have pads on the left and other controls on the right. And for that, this wasn't enough space to put the uh, 8x3. And I thought 4x4 would do the trick because it, when you're using two hands, you tend to use them close together anyway. Uh, and so um that, that was actually the first case uh, where i uh, had the four by four matrix which was then used for the mpc when i started working with the car are there any lindrum midi studios out in the wild you know um the, there is a small business in studio city california a suburb of los angeles called forat electronics f-o-r-a-t mm, and um, yeah. yep, bruce, yep. bruce and ben forat uh were uh, two of my employees and they're real smart. It's mostly just Bruce now. I don't think Ben is involved in Ford Electronics anymore. 
But it's been great for me because Bruce has uh, carried on repairs and modifications for the old uh, Lynn products. Um, and um, I, I forgot the question. <laughs> oh, no, I just I just Googled the Lindrum MIDI Studio and it looks yes. like an MP Oh, you said, yeah. Yeah, it has the MPC style pad layout. Yeah, I've, I've got one in my garage, and um, and I think Bruce has got uh, parts for, or there were a total of around five of them or six of them made, just wow. in prototypes. So he's probably got a few of them there, but and they're not working. I, I don't think the software works on them, so there's nothing you can do. It's a big boat anchor, basically. Wow. It's yeah, but that kind of stuff is like collector's item boat mm -hmm. anchor of, of joy. <laughs> yeah. Here's an interesting thing. I'm going to put this... Um... Uh, hold on, I'm gonna put this up and so you can see this open image in new tab. Uh, where is it? Oh, it's too small though. But it's interesting. Somebody compared the layout of the Lindrum um, MIDI Studio to the layout of the MPC Live. It's uncanny, <laughs> quite frankly. Uh, hold on, here it is. I don't. I haven't seen the. Is the MPC Live? Is that the one that's on an iPad? It it sort of looks similar. I'll put it up here. Uh, I think that may have been the MPC fly. Oh, oh, oh I see. <laughs> yeah, that was the MPC fly. <clears throat> but yeah, so this is the MPC live. But you know what I want to, uh, so that the Lindrum, that has a different pad layout. And when did this mm -hmm. come out? When did the Lindrum? That was in 19, uh, 1982. Okay, okay. And I know there was like luminaries of, of pop music and just general music that like made this their primary instrument. Like, I mean, Prince and Sheila E lived on the Lynn drum and maybe the, the uh, Lynn 9000 too. Um, well, actually, uh, interestingly enough, uh, Prince never used the Lynn drum. He used the precursor, which was called the LM-1 drum computer. Oh. Uh, and, uh, and as did, um, uh, um, uh, um, Quincy Jones for the Michael Jackson records and uh, a, a number Gabriel. of other artists because that was the first one that came, was, that? was on it too. Yeah. Yes. Uh, well, I, I, there's a video I saw on the web of Peter Gabriel using Lindrum, but the first one was the LM1, and only 500 of those were made, uh, but they were all in the right hands. And that came out in, in uh, it was announced in 1979, but then shipped in early 1980. Wow. Okay. Okay. So let's and, and 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 Prince liked that one a lot better because you had individual tuning knobs on the back for each song. Mm. Hey, uh, a, a quick question before we move off of of uh, artists like that. Um, when was when was the first time you created a product and then you had it get into an artist's hand that you were impressed with and you were just like, oh wow, like this artist is using my stuff and this is really cool. Oh. Um, well, uh, one thing that really felt great was when I first showed it to Stevie Wonder. Uh, and because he was always one of my heroes, uh, <laughs> uh, and and so I was uh, I was just gonna it, say he didn't really see it, but that's just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's up for debate these days. Effort. Yeah, that's actually up for debate. Yeah, that's up for debate. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, it, it's kind of an interesting story. Um, I had an early prototype of my drum machine that didn't have sampled sounds; only had um, it was a computer I had of the day. Um, and it was hooked up to a, a sound generator board from a Roland drum machine. And so uh, I showed it, I took it over to CV Wonder Studio and um, uh, and he was very impressed with it. But 
the trouble is it required to have a screen, the computer screen, and allowed you to, you know, move the cursor over and hit the space bar to play or uh, hit a, a, a number to plug in a star that would mean the, the you know, it was basically step time programming. But watching uh, Stevie Wonder try to use this uh, made me realize that it was a stupid design. It didn't make any sense because musicians, <laughs> musicians don't need to use step time and it's a unnecessarily translation, translation step. You know, if I want to play a beat, I can do a... That to try to convert that into switches in time is uh, an unnecessary conversion step, if you've already uh, got the talent to play it. Yeah, and, gotcha, and so, gotcha. so when uh, uh, Stevie Wonder was using this, I just saw that it was taking him a long time to do it. And so I basically went back to the drawing board and decided to make something that was a real time. And then that, it worked out well, because I came up with the ideas of quantization, swing, and, and loop recording. Mm. So, and, and those together, you put those things together and it made it much easier to create beats. Uh, and you know, there's some merit in step recording and I had step recording in, in my uh, products, but um, it seems like, uh, you know, the people who bought the Roland 808 type style things with the step recording, um, that was better if you didn't really have the ability to play, the musical talent to play, uh, but the guys who uh, bought my machines tended to have, uh, in my view anyway, more musical talent. And so they could actually play what they wanted to hear. And then the machine would do things like subtly correcting timing errors. You could adjust the swing, but they could play it. Was was it the 60 that had the step recording where you can do the steps while the sequencer wasn't running, where you could just input the steps while it wasn't running? Uh, you mean yeah, it, it would do step recording. Um, there was a thing that I always used to use in early sequencers back in the 70s was that idea that you, you have a sequencer and every time you play in a note, it records it into the next 16th note. So if I play dun, 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 and you hit play And I had used that trick a lot. And in fact, I had written uh, code for an early sequencer based on the same computer I had that I used for the original drum machine prototype, and I used it on some recordings back in the day uh, wow. for the band Toto, uh, for um, for Leon Russell, who was an artist I used to work with as a guitar player. Uh, and so uh, I wanted to put that, I thought that was a, a great um, boon for uh, being able to create very impressive sounding sequences with very little effort, because mm. just every time you hit the key, it puts it into the next step note, uh, 16th mm -hmm. note. Mm. You know? Wow. Nice. Yeah, that's a great feature, man. That's something that I see a lot of DAWs use that feature. Like the other day I was uh, writing something in Studio One and it has that input step uh, record feature where I can play notes on the keyboard in sequence, not running the sequencer, and it's recording it in 16th notes. And I was like, ah, oh, that came from the MPC-60. Like, Well, no, I can't take credit for that. Oh, okay, where'd that, uh, come actually, from? Yeah, who, where'd that come from? It was actually a fairly common feature in early step sequencers. Uh, oh, really? The first sequence I, I ever used was a part of a, um, a modular synthesizer uh, from, the, from the EMU company. Mm. Um, and this was uh, back in around 1974, I think. Mm. And it had a module uh, called the step sequencer. And mm. it had a little readout in three little digits. And then uh, you would just, um, it had a gate input that you connect to your wow. uh, analog gate and voltage keyboard. And, uh, and and every time you hit the note, it would advance the sequencer yep. by one step. Mm. Yep. And uh, and funny story about this is that uh, the guys who founded EMU, a guy named Dave Rossum and a guy named Stop, Scott Wedge, uh, 
they had little nerdy uh, jokes in their manual and um, their, sex, uh, their step sequencer had um, a display in octal, in other words, base eight, zero, one, two, three, four, five, seven, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 20, 21, 20, you know, it would not display the digits uh, eight or nine. And the reason was is because it was much easier using the digital chips of the day display it in base eight, which made it confusing for human beings, but it made it much easier to implement. And actually it worked pretty well for doing um, uh, 16th note uh, or normal 4-4 uh, time recordings. But in their catalog sheet for this step sequencer, uh, they have this, the, the picture display the octal equivalent of 69, and that was a sort of nerdy little sex joke. <laughs> well, hey, Roger, just they, so you know, um, uh, be very careful about what you say because Dave is coming on next week, so. Oh, man. <laughs> Dave, Dave, Dave is actually- He I will bicycle is, to your house and beat you up, so. <laughs> Dave and I are very good friends, and Dave is, I think my, who I think is the most talented uh, music product engineer in, in the world. Uh, he's just uh, phenomenal. The guy is so deep and so smart. Uh, I totally he's just, agree. He's just amazing. I, yeah. I oh, have here's a question. Another. I have a question wait, in, wait, in wait, regards wait, to all of that. Wait, Ken, let him ask okay, a question. Let me say one more thing first, though. Uh, another thing in their, in their catalog for the EMU modular synthesizer, for their noise module, they had specifications. And one of the specifications was excellent noise to signal ratio. So I have a question about uh, the fact that you uh, you had used samples in drum, early, early drum machines. And what were some yeah. of the challenges of that? How were you like, what were some of the things that you had to overcome in order to fit samples into such small spaces back then and to make the latency work and, and that sort of thing for you? Oh, yeah, it, it was difficult uh, because at the time, uh, because of cost, I was using uh, uh, PROMs, uh, programmable read-only memories, that were limited to only uh, 2,000 bytes or 2K bytes uh, because it's just so expensive otherwise. So I had a bunch of these things in there. And so, for example, the kick drum, I think, was only uh, 2K bytes long at, at uh, 27 kilohertz sampling rate. And the samples were 8-bit in a format called compounding. It was used by the phone company yeah. for telephone mm. uh, transmissions. Uh, and so even with all that, you know, the, the first uh, LM1 drum machine cost 5,000 bucks. And so it was it was difficult. And I had no cymbals. All I had was hi-hat. And the hi-hat was too long to record an entire open hi-hat. So what I did instead <clears throat> is it, I took mallets, or my, my friend Art Wood, who created all the samples for the other drum machine, uh, he he just used mallets on a uh, hi-hat that was slightly open to create a sustained oh. uh, hi-hat sound. And so that sound was looping inside, and I would just use an envelope editor to pick off a little bit of that. And the, the hi-hat decay control would control how long it would decay after you strike it. Uh -huh. Oh, snap. Nice. Wow. Okay. I, I have a weird question. This is a nerdy drum question. Do Great. you Do you know what drum set Art Wood used to make the samples in, in you know, the... In the linen drum. It's funny. Uh, uh, it's Daniel. Are you, are you a drummer? Yes. 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 Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's funny because no one's ever asked that. But uh, just yesterday, an old friend of mine named Jimmy Braylauer, who was a session drummer in New York in the '80s, asked me that question, and I forwarded it over to Art. So 
uh, if Art answers, he'll get back to me and I'll send you the answer. Oh I don't, I don't my know gosh! Him. I wow. I would I, now if I find out, I'm gonna hunt that thing down and just. Have it. <laughs> oh my gosh! That is that's that's a dope bit of, of well, information. Speaking on that it. same on that same topic, kind of. Wait, but can, um, can I can I, I do a corollary to that? Always. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, there was um, uh, a funny story. Is uh, Bruce Springsteen's uh, drummer? Um, Never heard his of name. Max Max Weinberg. Yeah. Um, uh, they were doing stadiums during the eighties because he was so popular, and they found that if they would mic the snare drum, it would just sound like cardboard. It wasn't full, and so he had a Lindrum, and it had five trigger inputs in the back, and so uh, he would just have a contact mic connected to his snare drum that would go into the trigger input of the Lindrum and play that big uh, snare drum. Oh and, um, man, that makes and, a lot of sense. And so, but the funny thing about it was, is um, it was not dynamic. It was all one level. Mm -hmm. And I went to see, and, and Max Weinberg invented, uh, invited me to come down and see one of the spring, uh, spring team shows, which was in some huge stadium. And, uh, and it was so funny because uh, every song the entire time through, it was that same sample of Bart Wood hitting the syndrome <laughs> once. <laughs> but you know, the sessions for recording were really funny. Uh, I had a, a home studio in one room of my house, and Art would come over, and I'd stick him in the closet, and he'd tune up his drum, and everything's ready. And I'd say, you ready? Okay, we're live. Record. And he'd hit it once. I said, thank you very much, Art. <laughs> Here's your dollar. <laughs> so about that sort of thing, um, with, with all the resurgence of uh, certain companies trying to do reissues of things and that sort of thing, what about copyright on the, these old drum machines? Do you still hold that? Um, who, who holds the copyright to all those old samples? Because you see them everywhere, and, and I know they're not always being paid for properly. So I, I wonder about that. You know, I don't, I don't know. I, I never really liked copyrights. Uh, I have sort of a love-hate relationship with intellectual property law uh, because um, I, want to, I want to have my ideas protected, but uh, I also want ideas to proliferate into the society so people can make better instruments and better music. So um, it, my understanding of it, and I don't understand this stuff well, is, is that you, uh, there's a gray area regarding uh, um, the recording of samples because they're so short, that doesn't mean a whole lot. Um, and you know, whenever I, uh, whenever I start to read about this stuff, uh, copyright and legal issues, I, I generally just fall asleep. So sure. it's, um, you, know, you have to focus on uh, what you like to do. Uh, and, and so there are not a lot of copies out there on, on the web and uh, I don't know, it doesn't really well, that, that it, it kind of it kind of comes to mind uh, for a few different reasons because there, there's also the semi-viral video for us beat producer nerds of, of you talking about the situation with Jack and uh, I don't I don't think I don't think we need to completely rehash all of that and, and we can get a little bit into some of that stuff later. But um, the reason why I bring it up is because, it, like you said, you know, it, as a creator, as a musician, you want ideas to proliferate and people yeah. to create. But at the same time, you do want to be respected at the same time, you know, both monetarily and, you know, and uh, otherwise. So it, it makes me wonder about that sort of thing because there's been rumors about remakes and clones and that sort of thing. And it makes me say, well, OK, well, if you're going to do that and you're talking about a digital bass drum machine 
How does Roger Lynn feel about that? Well, I, I think um, for samples, uh, I don't really care about it that much. I think that those samples are popular, not necessarily because of what I did, but because of the music that people created with them. It, mm -hmm. it was such a new idea that a lot of very creative people, uh, most notably Prince, uh, used, uh, brought the true beauty out of the machine. He, he put the soul in the machine, and the early artists that did it. And so, you know, I think a lot of people, fortunate for me, they credit me. They say, oh, that sound was wonderful. No, I would say, no, that sound, the, the recordings that Prince made or the, the early uh, adopters made are the true wonderful things, and you're associating that beauty with the sound when it really has to do with the music that was created by it. And so I, I don't really uh, see so much ma music, uh, magic in a particular sample. Uh, and I, I guess, you know, not that I'm inviting everybody to copy them like crazy, but uh, everyone already has anyway. Yeah, right. Sure. Exactly. Uh, them are all over the web, so it doesn't really matter so much. And you kind I'd of... say it's a compliment. You you kind of keep trying to move forward is the other aspect of it that I keep yeah. looking at is you are a UI kind of king. So if Dave Rossum is out there building these amazing chips and, and you know, Dave Smith and others are utilizing these, you know, these fundamentals in really interesting ways. If there's one thing that when I talk to people about Roger Lynn, I'm like the UI, the UI, the UI, because... Mm -hmm. If it wasn't for you, we probably well, wouldn't have that 16-pad layout. We yeah. wouldn't, you know. And when I look at something like the the Tempest even, which I have an extreme love-hate relationship with, but it's UI-wise, it's so much fun to create yeah, online. I, I need a Tempest. Um, you know, I, I'd like to hear a little bit about your thoughts on just creating user interfaces in general because it's you seem to kind of continually push barriers and win with that. Well, if before you, I would like to add on to that. Before you answer, I want you to answer that. But it, like, I think that's like it's a good uh, uh, example of it when you say you know you took the machine to Stevie Wonder and he was working on it with like step sequencer but then you you looked at that and you totally went back and said I need to make this a, a better piece for people to jump in and use the interface to program music the way musicians program music and I wonder if that goes into like the question that Ken is asking how you being the UI king and how you approach UI design like where that kind of lies and, and how you approach it that way yeah I, I, UI is very important for me uh and mostly because I've, I've been so angry as in my early musician days when I buy a product and and it was just horrible to operate and the, the trouble with it is, is there's, there's two different headspaces. You know, one is you're making music. The other one is you're reading manuals and all that crap. And, and it gets to a point where you associate the pain of having to deal with the technical stuff uh, with the music. And you don't want that. You want to be able, when you have an idea, you want to be able to go into your recording setup and just make the music. And so what I've tried to do is... is uh, Try to make the UI as, as simple as I can and focus on the things that people really want to do to make music. And you know what I see uh, today, I, I, I think is bothersome. I see a lot of products where people are just doing more and better. And they're saying, uh, for example, in synthesizers, there's this um, trend now to make synthesizers that have like 80 oscillators and 13 filters and 27 envelopes and 50 <laughs> LFOs. Uh, and, and you know, on all the presets on these, you couldn't play a melody if your life depended on it. It's more like you, you press a key and it goes, 
That's what I'm known for. Yeah, it so, sounds I like agree. a really messed up mod matrix. That's my signature yeah. sound, so stop talking trash on me. <laughs> um, I agree with that. Well, what I, I agree with do, that. You know, part of it, too, it, it comes from my experience as a musician, and I'm impatient. If I mm. want to make music, I want to make music. Yes. So instead of giving people tons of options, I try to set it by default mm. to what I think that that really helps them as musicians as possible. And and also, I think I'm trying to target generally people who have some musical talent. It's less for people who just want to experiment and, and noodle around with music, more for people that have some musical talent. So, for example, the idea of real-time programming. The assumption mm -hmm. is you've got talent. I'm not saying here's a machine that you this for someone who doesn't have talent but wants to sound like someone who does. I'm saying this is a machine it's like making a violin or making a guitar. You've got talent. That's your department. I'm just going to make something for talented people to make better music. That's mm, all. Very yeah. good. Yep. And, and just as a corollary to that, making the UI is actually the most fun for me. Uh, I start off in Adobe Illustrator, <clears throat> and I just I decide what controls I want, the, the things that I'm really going to use all the time, and how can I uh, best place those so they're they're easily used, and then uh, uh, and then what I do is once I have that arrangement right, I put everything into my 3D program, which is a program called Rhino 3D, uh, mm -hmm. and I actually make the whole product up, and I put the controls on there, and it make it three dimensional, and then do renderings of it, and I uh, just uh, have it on the screen there, and I play with it with my fingers, even though it doesn't do anything at that point, and I experiment, and I say, how is this going to work? And I'm what what people would call a top down designer. You know, some people start with an electronic circuit and then they move outward. And the last thing they do is put a user interface on it. Uh, uh, and where I tend to do is I tend to say, what does a musician need first? Or what I what would I like to have first? And then just make the guts, drill down and make the guts. Well, one, one of the things where you can see that, and I'm trying to, I got to try to find the link. It's probably on your website, which people should probably check out, mm -hmm. rogerlindesign.com. Um I'm trying to find it. You, you're really open about a lot of your design ideas and the, your method about going about things. And I'm sure that in a way that that's a really fun thing to do, but I'm sure it can be aggravating because then people are constantly bugging you like myself, who's going to bring up boom chick, right? So the, <laughs> the original Tempest idea before it was Tempest was boom chick. And then it split into two. And there was like a, a boom chick analog and a boom chick digital. But you yeah. were constantly posting up revisions of the UI and 3D renders of like just ideas that you were fleshing out. And like you don't really see that very often. Especially well, yeah, back then. You know, it's, it's number one, I think you need to have an iterative process because you get feedback from people and all that. But the other thing too, it's really fun for me to make these 3D renderings and move things around. And uh, yeah, Boom Chick was a uh, uh, <laughs> was a funny name I came up with. Uh, it was really it. more of a working working title. But um, it's uh, uh, but after that, uh, when we made it, we called it Lindrum Two. Um, the uh, I think that was yeah, that was what it was. Dave and I identified that his market really was more analog synthesis because that's what he's good at. And I don't care as much about that. I've never made an analog product in my life, except for the Tempest with Dave. And so, uh, and, and the MPC had no analog in it. It was all digital. So we figured the best thing to do is to take two paths and have one with all this analog circuitry in it and then one just digital. Uh, and then what happened was eventually it just focused down onto Tempest 
as a analog machine with some samples, but it's not like an MPC type machine. And then I went on my own to go make a drum machine. And I'm still working on it. It's just that uh, I, I take forever to make products because I'm basically a one-person company. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because that's, that's one thing that every time I've seen you in person, like I always walk up and I ask about it because I'm just like, oh, so about that. <laughs> because I remember you talking about it like years ago. And yeah, yeah. The, these... One thing that I, I try to stress on a lot of people is that sequencers, especially, are probably one of the hardest things to build. Like in general, yeah, you actually say that a lot. <laughs> I, I do, I do, because I've been involved in quite a few sequencers being built, and I realize like you have to think about so much everything from resolution and PPQ to mm -hmm. how swing is going to work to how you're going to divide up things how you're going to address things on the chip how many cycles you're going to get like there's there's a lot that goes involved in these things and then from a top-down view like you're saying you want to say okay well what's the actual scope of the project and how you're going to handle that the the tempest it's pretty obvious right from the gate that you wanted it to be a live instrument like you wanted it to be something that you could perform on and not stop um yeah it differs quite a bit from the mpc uh, in the fact that the MPC was very much a like, you know, you could do live programming on it for sure. And, and I love the MPC for that. But the Tempest feels more like, hey, don't stop. Just keep going. Yeah, that's true. Um, well, you know, I think uh, what we're all trying to do uh, and have been doing since about 1970 or earlier, actually, is uh, answer the question, how do computers fit into music? Uh, and so, uh, you know, there are many ways to do that. And um, I, I think uh, in, uh, it, it's easy to go uh, a little bit too far, at least in my view. And all views are legitimate. But in my view, it's, it's easy to say, I'll just have the computer do everything or almost everything. For example, I'll never practice and develop any technique. I'll just program an expressive solo over a few months and get it perfect in every little thing about it. Uh, but what I noticed is that it was, um, uh, when I uh, was a teenager, I played music, I played gu uh, guitar, and I would get together with people. It was social, there was practice, you yeah. develop skills, you develop gestures. And I noticed this uh, slow morphing into a music making process where one person sits in a dark room, rolling a bar of soap in front of a TV screen to make music. And it seemed that there was not only oh, that sounds the awesome. <laughs> there, <laughs> there was it seemed it seemed like it was swinging too far in that direction. I remember seeing Peter Gabriel in concert once, and before the band came out, there were laptops at every station. I thought, what is everybody going to do? Emails? <laughs> it, 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 it just hey, didn't seem. Just to finish the thought. Uh, so what I'm saying is, I, I'm trying to uh, find a. Uh, a happy medium between the computer and 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 the uh, and and human potential uh, and to say there are there are certain things that humans can do that, that machines can't do and there's certain things that machines can do that humans can't do but let's not uh, give up on humans yet let's uh, let's have some expression in there too and I think yeah. there's tremendous merit in in the ability to develop gestures whether it's a guitar player doing a wonderful mm -hmm. bend and vibratos or a violinist right. with a vibrato mm -hmm. or a sax player with his embouchure or some of the amazing guys i've seen 
uh, perform on an MPC and doing things that are uniquely human. And, and you, you look at some of these videos and you say, this is something that only a few human beings can do. This is special. We will call this person an, an artist because only a few people can be an artist. If everybody can do it by pressing a button, then no one's an artist. Yep. Everybody's got the same skills. And so I'm trying to develop that and use uh, the computer and the computer's technologies uh, where they have benefit in augmenting uh, human innate human talent. Uh, and, you know, one thing that's interesting about this, if you look at how computers have been integrated into all other aspects of our lives, uh, they are used for well-defined tasks that can be repeated over and over again. Mm -hmm. Well, in music, it's looping. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right, right. Roger, I, I wanted to ask you a question. Um, you mentioned sure. being a guitar player, and yeah. that's one one of the things the instrument has kind of like you know stood out for me personally. I've always looked at the instrument and thought, man, you know, because I play guitar. I'm not a I'm not a keyboard player. Uh, we got D Steele here. He's a prolific keyboard player, and for me to like. Uh, you know, bring my uh, expression to, you know, MIDI instruments, the instrument has always been something I've looked at and thought, man, you know, that would be the perfect way to, uh, you know, bridge my guitar playing into uh, the MIDI world. Is that what sure. was that your intention with, with, with the instrument? Well, no, it's interesting. Um, the reason I chose the well, first of all, for those of you who don't know, uh, instrument is it's this thing. <laughs> It's uh, basically like a, a bunch of uh, drum pads uh, that are about three quarters inch square. But what they're used for, and let me get a different sound up here, is to uh, um, sense three dimensions of your fingers polyphonically. So you can do things like vibratos, and I'll just do a, a quick example of that. Let's see here. Uh, we talked about uh, guitar, so... Here, this is me that my, sounds uh, awesome. Already so expressive. Man. Man. And so the, the way the, <laughs> the way the notes that are laid out is each one of these rows is kind of like a string. Uh, let me see from down here. Uh, from here let's say. So is it laid out like a guitar? Is it, is it laid out it like is. a guitar? Okay. Yeah. It's laid out like a stringed instrument, and you can tune the strings, the rows, however you like. Then what these lights do is they just tell you where the white keys are. So the blue is C, D, right. yep. E, F. So right now you're so in C the, major. Yeah, well, yes, exactly. That's the normal light uh, pattern. And so okay. that allows you to, and then the different rows are just like different strings, and they're normally tuned all in fourths. Um, oh, I'm pressing a button. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so if I want to play a melody, for example, there we go. Wow. Wow, that's dope. <laughs> now, there was other. Um, you just took money out of Bryce's wallet. So before the instrument came out, there there was a couple other products that were doing sort of gridish things. Like there was a sound plane uh, from yes. Madrana, 
and there yeah. was oh god, I'm trying to remember the other one. There was a harmonic, sound playing, a harmonic the, I, layout I that harp. was similar to eigenharp. Yeah. yeah, there was a there was a, a harmonic layout one that similar to um, like a accordion, right? Well, there are a few of those, um, but uh, this is where uh, and uh, actually and and the, the the most important one was the continuum by Little Hawk, which yep. came out yep. in 1999. Absolutely. And what yeah. that has is this basically one long yeah. array of, of notes on it's sort of a mouse pad like surface or neoprene. And mm -hmm. um, and then the, the pitches are equally spaced and you see where the black and white keys would be on a piano, but it's a continuous surface, a continuum. Uh, and that thing is really uh, to this day still it's excellent. Um, and Lippel Hawkins is a genius and he was actually uh, gave a paper on this in 1986. So he was well above any of us. Wow. And I just basically said, well, instead of just one long row of notes across, I'll have overlapping uh, rows of notes in pitch, and that way you can do chords this way instead of, you know, for example, C in one row. Yeah. And, and they're you, all just different ways of doing it. I remember, like, because I followed the project because I'm, I'm a uber fan, so, like, I followed the project very closely, and I remember you researching the sensor design and everything. Like, you really, like... Put it all out there. I mean, you were really showing us all your process very early on from from how you were getting the sensitivity. You were, uh, I think, you had invested in a company or something at at some point, or or some technology or something to that effect. And, and I'm I'm trying to remember way back, you know, because this project's been underway for quite a while now. But um, yeah. You know, like I, I'm remembering this stuff way back, which I can remember better than my kids' birth dates, which is absurd. <laughs> wow, wow, Ken, you gotta, you gotta yes, get yeah. your priorities. <laughs> well, honestly, I had, I had, and, and you know, not not to upset Roger, but I did have an NPC in the the hospital when my daughter was born with me. It wasn't, it wasn't a Roger Lynn NPC, but it was an NPC. So, well, you know, hold on. I, actually, I wanna, I wanna write there. There's two things I actually wanna. So when you started doing uh, the the instrument and about the expressivity, there wasn't a lot out there like that. But now we have quite a few instruments that are kind of going down that path. And I think to tie it into something you said, like, hey, obviously I created uh, this thing or that thing and, and there's intellectual property there. But also I want to be able to have those ideas proliferate into electronic instruments yeah. and and the innovation of electronic instruments so that you know we all win so what do you think about how like that sector of the the market has kind of boomed over the years since you've introduced uh the instrument you know you have a lot of it, mpe is a standard now in the midi 2.0 and and all of that what do you think well uh it, actually to be fair uh to some of those others we mentioned i was the fifth entry into the market uh, okay the mm -hmm. or the uh, continuous first eigenhart came out after that a sound plane it was out of that and and the really seaboard actually came out before i released uh, uh instrument mm -hmm. okay. uh, so that was before you released it but, but you have been working on it for quite a while and kind of sharing ideas as you went along though right and i think true. the sound uh, plane was also closest to that grid layout right mm -hmm. yes exactly yeah and uh randy's randy jones who's who made that is a good friend and you know in fact we're all very good friends uh mm -hmm. we had these wonderful uh dinners at at uh, yep. at the nam show together um, because these are people that, uh, you know, it, it's hard to find people that share the same passion for uh, this sort of expressive control. And w w the way we all feel is, is that 
any sale to any one of us uh, is right raises the tide and floats all boats higher. There you go. Uh, and, right. and and for example, the Rolly Seaboard, uh, you know, he's gotten something like seventy five million dollars in investment, and so he's uh, really done a great job for all of us on educating the public uh, about the merits of express to touch control. Yeah. Mm. I have a... and, and I love to say I love to say to people. Uh, someone says, "Do you have any competition?" Because I'm basically working from one room in my house, uh, this room, uh, mm-hmm. and with, with uh, subcredited manufacturing and order fulfillment. But otherwise, I'm the whole company. And if you call up support, it, you get me. <laughs> and and uh, so I like to joke about the fact that uh, my company has no investment. Uh, no employees, and I work from home, no building even. And uh, Roly has, at one point, they had like 120 employees and $75 million in the middle. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, of course, they sold more. So so let me jump in here and ask ask my second huge question. Hold as on, a, Roger's as a, frozen. Let's make sure he's oh, there. Roger, you there? Yeah, he's frozen. Uh-oh. Roly just paid to have your your stream frozen. Just so... so. <laughs> So, Roger, as a huge fan, I love everything you do. There's been crazy rumors out there that you're working on another drum machine. Uh, is it true? And what is it? Yeah, what is it? Oh, you know, it, 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 it's no secret. I've been working on it. I've announced it a number of times. People ask me about it. I said, sure, I'm working on it. And in fact, I've been working on it ever since. Uh, That's that boom um, chick, Lynn, Lynn Drum, too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Ever since Blizzard uh, uh, 2 was bifurcated into uh, a product for Dave's market and one for mine, uh, it's just that I, I, at that point, I decided I would go to Linstrument first because it was more interesting to me. Uh, Absolutely. But now, um, what I'm doing, uh, sure, I can tell you in general terms what Lindrum 2 is about. That's still the title, and I may change it, who knows. But the idea of it is is that it takes the uh, expressive, the, the real-time operation, the, the performance-oriented operation of Tempest, that sort of a thing, uh, but with the expressive control over sample-based sounds, uh, uh, but the expressive control you find in, in the instrument. Uh, so, um, and wow. there's, I, I can demo a, this a little bit if I can get this. Um, Whoa, for some reason. is this a world exclusive right here? <laughs> oh no, I've done this before. Uh, oh, hey, you're not that good. Tell us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I was about to do the. I was about to do the mixtape overdubs. Like, yeah. <laughs> 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 hey, yo, while Roger gets that set up, yo Ken, I gotta tell you, man, you you banging on your keyboard with a hammer and a spring. Oh, I, I, like, I keep, uh, so like, <laughs> I keep I, trying I to move it elephants, over there. My bad. Elephants over there. Elephants like walking on his keyboard. Yeah, you know what? I, I'm literally gonna buy a whole new uh, mic stand t- like today because of that. That's my fault. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. I'm gonna like Roger. Okay. Here's um. Let me elevate this for something. Hang on a second. Yep. Uh, here. So let me get this straight. Is he saying oh. that the the Lindrum two is going to have the expressiveness of Lindstrument? Is that what yes, we? Yes, uh, yes, three dimensional control. Yes, he is. <laughs> that beautiful. So, if you can see this here, uh, well, probably not so easy, but um, I'll try for it. Anyway, on the surface here, uh, you know, you always know the feature uh, on NPC I call note repeat that mm-hmm. I first introduced in, on the product called Lin 9000 in 1984. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is kind of like note repeat on steroids. So I can now, uh, by varying pressure, I can get on this hi-hat sound uh, varying strikes uh, of velocity, right? Unfortunately, there's 
I think Logic did an update. Oh yeah. Um. Oh, here we go. Okay. Okay, so I can. I'm gonna. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm gonna have to make a, an adjustment here because uh, something's funny in this file. Hold on. Let me uh, put my wallet on the other side of the yeah. room real quick. Yeah. Yeah. Is there... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's oh, wow. wild. That is wild. Man. Okay, so, so yeah, right now I've got, uh, this is just doing, uh, it's, it's, it's like, uh, it's not repeat on steroids because they're uh, three dimensions. So, what? Uh, I, Whoa. Man. I, see, the trouble is, is this should be, Man. it shouldn't be so resonant. Uh, My me, wife is going to leave me. <laughs> 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 Whoa. So what I'm doing is, that, is it, the way it should be working if I listen. The way it should be working if this if this is just one hi hat out of two hats. Now with the, with my thumb, I can change that rate. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, yeah. Wow. And then I can change pitch. That's brilliant. And if, it, if this is working right, I get a natural sound towards the back of the pad and uh, or to the front of the pad and, and a more uh, pressure controlled filter on the front of the pad. Uh, and there's a video on my site that demonstrates this. So here's for a snare drum. What? So, so I, see, I see Steel's <laughs> mind blowing right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So by, by varying pressure on these three pads, uh, you can do beats live with three fingers. No, don't tell me that. Oh man. Man, that's crazy. That is crazy. So uh, one of the things about the the instrument that that comes to oh mind is God. this whole the whole MPE movement and that sort of thing. Uh, yeah. So so I work with ASM, um, which makes the Hydrosynth, and uh, they they do polyphonic aftertouch and just recently started supporting MPE as well. And one of the things that I've discovered is, um, hold on, back up a little bit, Roger. I noticed that I, I noticed that we get feedback when you lean in. So oh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying sorry. to troubleshoot. Like, I'm trying to oh, troubleshoot you know while is? we're on the air. I, I think what it is, I have my hearing aids in my pocket. Oh. I'll take them out. That, that's absurd because people were commenting in the feed. They were like, it sounds like hearing aid feedback. And I was like, oh, it's iPods. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, so whoever was saying that in the chat, you guys win. Um, yeah. The MPE standard as a whole, though, uh, it seems like it's kind of implemented a little bit shifty between different brands and whatnot. It doesn't feel like it's 100% locked down across everybody and always done the same way. Like, like the basics are there, but it doesn't always feel like it's done the same way. How do you um, – because you were one of the early, early adopters of that kind of platform. How do you how do you feel about all that and, and the movement of MPE and MIDI 2.0, which is kind of coming about? Well, it's um, MPE uh, uh, that started out uh, with a conversation with me and Roland Lamb, who makes the Seaboard. Uh, and, and we're saying, hey, we're all trying to get this polyphonic expression. Why don't we all do it the same way? Uh, and so uh, 
uh, then we enlisted uh, people from Moog and Apple and and a few other companies. And we tried to come up with a good standard. And it turns out um, that the standard actually, funny enough, already existed since 1984 in MIDI 1.0. It was called MIDI Mode 4. Hmm. And all it said was is that instead of using the different MIDI channels for different instruments, you'd use them for different touches or different strings on a guitar synthesizer, which people were doing in that time around 1984. Uh, and so there really was no need for MPE, um, but um, uh, so, but we, we did It's about bringing the knowledge to the front kind of thing, right? Well, and part of it was there's a, there's a one little thing you could add in there if you call it an MPE instead of MIDI mode 4, but... Um, it's uh, but Roland did anyway in our discussions. Roland Lamb he said, Well, I think it's important, and he made a good point that we get the sanction of the MIDI Association. Uh, and I said, Roland, I don't think we should do that because it'll be three years uh, before they, they do this. <laughs> and and Roland yeah. said, No, I talked to the guy at the uh, MMA, the MIDI Manufacturers Association, he says it'll be a few months. And I said, Okay, let's do it. It was four years later, yeah, that right. it was introduced. Oh wow. <laughs> And that was great for Roland because he had his own synth, but a lot of synth makers were waiting until the standard was adopted, until they added MPE. So it was kind of difficult for me, but it, it all worked. You know, people were able to do it because they were multi-tambral synths, uh, which do the same thing as MPE. And then a lot of people were just putting in MPE because they got tired of waiting for the uh, sure. MMA. Uh, so it's okay. It all works out. Uh, but, you know, the, the most important thing is, is that it, it's... Um, uh, it's a good standard that anyone can say, here's an MPE synth and I can play it, whether it's with a seaboard or the instrument or a continuum or, or, or whatever. Can, uh, can I just say thank you for the adrenaline pedal? Oh, you're very welcome. So when I was in college, I was using a cracked version of a plugin of the <laughs> adrenaline <laughs> plugin. And it was literally like the, the plugin that I would use on everything because it was such a diverse and then I, I actually learned about the plug-in first, and then I learned about the pedal second. And mm -hmm. I was like, whoa, wait, this comes from a real thing? And then uh, a homie, Jordy, sent me a, a picture of him using the adrenaline pedal. And I'm like, man, I got to get one of those things because it's one of the most diverse pedals that I've seen out there, like for processing sounds. It's really wait, it's an interesting, uh, interesting story, a brief story. Uh, adrenaline came out of uh, when I used to work with this artist, Leon Russell, uh, and I had convinced him to buy a $20,000 modular emu synthesizer. Uh, As everyone because, should. Yeah. Hey, I just convinced well, you. Yeah, I just convinced him to, you know. Buy well, this everyone great, should. It was a great gig. I was 19, and um, and Leon had money, and I had I knew about synths. So whenever there was something <laughs> cool on the market, I would just convince him he needed to buy it. Uh, That's right. So... So anyway, I don't even have money and I want to buy it. So, <laughs> but anyway, what we used to do, uh, both me and me together working in the studio on, on his albums uh, and on my music on the side, I would work late at night on the studio and my stuff. Uh, but we would use sequencers and filters um, and, and these different synthesizer modules to process uh, acoustic instrument recordings like guitar sounds and all that. And one of the fun things we would do is we would take like um, someone's playing a drum beat, and whenever there was a transient in the drum beat, it would step to the sequencer or a uh, or a random um, uh, noise generator to a new level. So, for example, someone would be playing a hand drum, and uh, the hand drum 
would then uh, uh, create successive new uh, resonant filter frequencies of a guitar every time the hand drum is hit. And it was a very cool thing. And so I thought, this is great, except it takes a modular synthesizer and, and a whole lot of knowledge to do it. Uh, and I would like guitar players to be able to do this. Uh, so I thought, why don't I put it uh, in just a simple pedal? And that was the idea behind it. So Adrenaline is basically a big modular synthesizer, but with presets where you turn a preset and you can change everything at once. Mm -hmm. And you can have sequences of filter tones. Um, yeah, there it is in the site. So, uh, it's and so, so cool. It's a fun product. And it's very inspirational. And there's this uh, 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 guitarist, blues guitarist named John Mayer, who used it in a few of his hits. Uh, when Nobody uh, in, knows in him. his career. <laughs> yeah, not, not so much anymore, but uh, you know, he had a lot of uh, hits. At any rate, it was, uh, but he was very creative to see how he would use it, and he did some interesting things with it. I used, yeah. to, I used to play pads into it and have it do all these <clears throat> gated sequences, just playing pads of my old oh, Korg Trinity through this thing. Yeah. Oh man, it's so. Cool. I I got a question for you, product wise, because you're kind of known as the drum machine guy, but you know, yeah. with Roger Lynn Designs, you know, you being a guitar player, you're making these really interesting uh, guitar pedals, and I've got friends of mine that swear by the the, you know, swear by this stuff. Did you feel like it was hard to get um, product awareness about this sort of thing? Well, it, it's always, uh, as, a, as a tiny company, it's always uh, hard to get noise, uh, to break through the noise. Uh, and, um, uh, and so, you know, there, to this day, there are people that say, I just bought an instrument. I had no idea it existed. Uh, and I happened to come across this uh, uh, web page that talked about this instrument. And so um, it just takes a long time. It, it's, my sales are always sort of uh, follow what's called an inverted bell curve. I get early adopters that know about what I'm doing or just, and they're waiting for it to come out of the gate. Uh, and then it tends to drop down a bit. And then as the word spreads around, people say, oh, this is really a quality musical instrument. I can make music. And they tell their friends and then it starts to climb back up. So it's and that was the same thing in my early drum machine. That must be hard to kind of plan for, though, as far as like when you're trying to ramp up production and that sort of thing. It must be hard for you to kind of like really gauge what the order structure is going to be and all, especially being a one person operation in that way. It is, you know, it's hard financially, especially because I have to plan for my production well in advance. And then uh, if, if I don't get enough sales, then I got to uh, pay for all the parts. Uh, and if I get too much sales, <laughs> I don't have anything to ship. Uh, but I have a secret weapon that really helps me. And this is something that I recommend uh, to anyone starting a small business uh, that makes electronic products. Marry a woman who works at Apple. Oh, there it is. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> there it is. Okay. Okay. Secret okay. <laughs> Wait, are you telling me that you're married to Siri? <laughs> Rockin' and Siri, the new power couple. I knew she was jacking my beats. <laughs> but uh, you know, they, they Apple pays very well. Uh, we actually live only live about seven minutes from Apple. And oh, um, wow. uh, and it's and it's great. Uh, and in fact, she's uh, she manages the entire uh, department of um, uh, what are called um, engineering pro uh, project managers for the audio hardware department. Wow! Mm. But but she won't tell me anything. You know, they, they, <laughs> they're so secretive. I you know I try to it's like working for Eric Fifty One. Tell me about the new. Well, let me let me go really far <laughs> off of the normal topic real quick and just ask like, where did you meet your wife at? Uh, it's interesting. Uh, I was living in Berkeley until two and a half years ago when we moved down closer to Apple because of my wife's job. 
and um, uh, she had embarked on, on the second uh, um, degree. She got her engineering degree. Uh, she's from Germany uh, at the Technical University in Munich. And so she came over here to do her thesis project where she was writing um, software for a 48-channel uh, a, a convolution reverb that was used in the psychoacoustics department of Cal Berkeley. Uh, and it turns out uh, one of the people on her team was Don Buchla's wife, who was a good friend of mine. Uh, and because that, Don Buchla lived in, in uh, you know, Don Buchla, the synth guy. Uh, no, and, I never uh, heard of him. Yeah, I never heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, when, she, my, when my wife, uh, who I didn't know at the time, first arrived in California, um, Don's wife, whose name is Nanique, she's a French woman, uh, she invited uh, uh, Ingrid out on the town to go to a restaurant uh, in Berkeley called Downtown, where they have live jazz. And I happened to be there, too. And so I saw Don and Nanique, and they introduced me. And uh, uh, so anyway, the rest is history. That's beautiful. That's beautiful, yeah. man. That's, see, that's, see, that's the kind of stuff that I'm always interested in. I'm like, I want to know, like, what made these people these people, you know? Yeah, yeah the, the person behind the technology and the innovation is always good. That's beautiful. Well, well yeah, and, and it's, um, it's, it's, it's also fascinating for me, too. And so, you know, when I was up in Berkeley, I had this uh, little uh, um, uh, coffee group that we meet once a week that we, uh, we call the Dead President Society. Uh, it was originally because it was Tom and me and uh, Dave uh, Smith, Tom Overheim and me and Dave Smith, and we were all former presidents of companies that have died. So it seemed like a fitting title. <laughs> I remember uh, seeing pictures of you guys out at like breakfast and whatnot together. Yeah, yeah. And it, it was really good because particularly working at home, it can get very boring uh, and lonely. And so it's nice to have that, that sort of uh, social uh, network. And now down here, um, uh, I'm in, in a, a town called Los Altos in Silicon Valley, and um, there are a lot of very creative people. So I have another lunch group that we're now doing via Zoom, uh, and it's Evan Brooks, who is the co-founder of DigiDesign. Mm -hmm. It's um, uh, Pat Scandalous, who is one of the makers of the uh, GeoShred app uh, mm -hmm, yeah. that's made by Moforti. Yeah. Um, it's a, a brilliant uh, inventor named Tim Thompson, who, you know, he cashed out and made a lot of money in tech years ago. And he makes these beautiful instruments, including one called the Space Palette that he shows at Burning Man every year. I don't think I uh, and it's this wonderful that. visual um, thing, uh, instrument, and a bunch of other very creative uh, folks. Oh, James McCartney, who wrote an, a music language called Super Collider. Wow. Yeah. Audio oh, yeah. music. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. And and uh, a few others. So it's it's really wonderful. And we just, the ideas are flowing, and, and we, uh, our lunch goes for three hours, and we never stop talking. And it's that sort of wow. stuff that really is stimulating. I think all that we learn so much from each other. So it's a very nice environment. I think that's that's one of the things that that's I'm. I, I count that to be to be very fortunate in that way. In that I have Corey Steele. I've got Upright here. Um, like we all talk constantly, and we surround ourselves with like-minded, creative individuals that you know really forward our our mindset and, and kind of keep us moving. And, and pushing forward. And I think that's really important. And it, it, it's a beautiful idea that, you know, you're not huddled in a corner like, I have these ideas, I'm going to keep them to myself. It's, Absolutely. hey, let's share these ideas. Let's bounce, these, bounce mm -hmm. everything off the wall. I've got people that aren't scared to think, you know, in an open way. And let, let's see what comes of that. Have you guys well, that's, heard... that's a fundamental idea of, of academia is that you mm -hmm. publish. You mm -hmm. publish yeah. and perish. Yeah, and so it's important the idea is to spread those ideas. You got your teaching wow. job, you wow. do your research, and you, you might get something else in the university, but you publish, and 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 then those those ideas go out in the world, 
And uh, there was a wonderful song in the uh, 80s by a, 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 a woman, a, writer, a songwriter named Mary Chapin Carter called Ideas Are Like Stars, They Fall From the Sky. I think as musicians or creative people, we're all uh, in love with ideas. And you know, when you get an idea, uh, it, it, it's, you wake up in the middle of the night and it just it fascinates you. And I think that's that's the beautiful. So I try to surround myself with as many people who love ideas as well, and and, uh, and we'll, we'll just get together and hyper ourselves into a frenzy. And speaking of that, so I'd like to know, and it, it kind of spawns from the Dead Presidents group. And I don't know what came first, this uh, the Tempest or the Dead Presidents. Uh, society. I was going to go the same route. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. so how did that? How did that collaboration? And that, yeah, uh, that's, that's what I wanted to ask, man, because I want to know. Well, it started actually with Tom Oberheim, and you know Tom, the synth guy, mm -hmm. analog synth guy. And uh, uh, Tom lives um, close to Berkeley uh, in an area called Orinda. Um, and so Tom was, at one point, he was doing some uh, hardware work for uh, Cal Berkeley's engineering department. And so he would come over and he'd say, why don't we get together? And I said, that sounds great to me because I'm bored stiff working at home alone. Mm -hmm. So we would meet down at this coffee house and then a few other people joined us. Uh, David Wessel, who's passed away now, but he was the head of SINMAP, the, uh, the Center for New Music and Audio Technologies at Cal Berkeley, their computer music school. Um, and, um, oh, Do Max Matthews. I don't know if you know Max Matthews, but he's known as the father of computer music. Uh, and he did, he created the, the first electronic music algorithms on early computers at Bell Labs in the 1950s. Wow. He would come over. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, oh, and, and great story about Max. Uh, if any of you remember the movie 2001 by Stanley Kubrick, yeah. there's a scene in it where Dave, uh, the protagonist, is disassembling the HAL 9000 computer, and uh, and when it when when he's doing this, the computer is sort of losing its marbles, and he starts to sing the song, Daisy, Daisy, mm -hmm. W or M. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's an old song called A Bicycle Built for Two. Well, the reason that they use that is because Max Matthews created the first singing computer, and the song he chose was that song, Yo. Daisy. Wow. <laughs> and and, Yo, and so the idea, the idea of that scene in, in 2001 was by, uh, while as, as Hal 9000 was losing his marbles, he was reverting to his childhood, his oh, early wow. experiences of singing that song. Oh man, yeah, that is nuts. That's great. <laughs> that's, that's wild. Oh man. man. And so Max was in our group, and Max was great. I got I got to tell you a great story about Max. Real quick. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Max has passed away now, but he in the group he was still when he was quite elderly. Uh, come to the group, and one day I think he was eighty-four at the time, and his wow. hearing was getting bad, as my hearing is, uh, and he. Uh, but he wanted, he had tried all the hearing aids and all the hearing aid companies would give them hearing aids for free to, for him to test them because he was so famous. Uh, but he didn't like any of them. He said they suck. They all sounded bad for music. <laughs> so he decided to make us, he decided to make one on his own. And we knew that he was doing this. Anyway, so we're, we're all sitting, the Dead President of Society are sitting in our group there in the coffee house in Berkeley. Mac walks in the door 
And what he has on his head is a bicycle helmet with a two-foot shotgun mic. Duct tape to the top. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's, that sounds like Ken. That sounds like Ken. Yes, I would do that. Yeah, that sounds like Ken, yeah. <laughs> and he's got a, a coily cord uh, from the microphone running down to a headphone app in front of his belt. Another coily cord going up to headphones over the microphone. Oh, yeah, that's, oh, that's absolutely key. So yeah. we had a table in the corner of the coffee house, and I'd say, Max, uh, tell us, tell us about your hearing aid prototype. <laughs> then he faced me in the microphone. Just, just hang on again. <laughs> oh, that is nuts. All I can picture is uh, is uh, the guy from, oh. from from Revenge of the Nerds just screaming, "Nerds!" Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's by the way, good. the guy in Revenge of the Nerds is Bob Carradine. I went to high school with him. Oh, he's a, wow. he's an excellent guitar player. Wow. Acoustic wow. music. Amazing. And he's anything but a nerd. I feel sorry for the poor guy because he's not a nerd at all. But that was the role that he could have got typed in. Well, if you play guitar, that's how you got chicks, so. Hey, <laughs> hey Roger, I got I got a I got a weird question. Have you ever been at one of these dead presidents meetings and then like in your head you're like, damn it, I should have thought of that first. Like when you when you hear an idea that one of the other guys would say. Every time like, I talk to you, Steve. You're just, uh, you're just <laughs> like, oh yeah, me and Ken do that all the time. But I'm wondering if there was like something that somebody got to right before you, like came up with the idea, or or maybe they kind of the idea was better on there, and you're like, man, I wish I would have well, done that. Mostly in this in the Dead President Society group, everybody was smarter than me, and so it was kind of a given. Oh, awesome. They came up with great ideas. So, so you know, humble. Yeah, that's that's very well, no, encouraging. It's, actually, it's 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 true. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I I um <clears throat> these people like Dave Wessel, these guys are PhDs and they're innovators and they're creators too. And I approach things more from a musician who wanted to get things done. And I've made a lot of mistakes along the way, and I needed help. But Don Buchla, for example, he he is he was an extraordinary uh, analog engineer. David Wessel. Mm -hmm. Uh, he came. He, he had some of the papers he's written are just wonderful about uh, ways to create sounds through examples and, and uh, mm -hmm. many many different things. And uh, Tom Oberheim, when I got into trouble uh, in in designing the instrument, Tom kindly came over and helped me out and told me what I was doing wrong. And so you know I, I kind of dabbled in a number of things, but uh, I actually felt very privileged to be part of this group because mm -hmm. these guys are all smarter in the field of engineering you know i think i i have a specialty in, in sort of taking the best of what i can find in engineering and combining it into an instrument you're a producer uh, but, well, I, actually that's a good point yeah i'm, yeah. A, I'm a producer yeah wow. i combine the technology and the music the best i can uh with the skills i have you know and over the years i've learned a lot and i've written mm -hmm. software but you know for example in this lunch group i have now in 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 the south silicon valley area um these programs like James McCartney and Evan Brooks and Tim Thompson, these guys are way beyond me. And and so they talk about things and I just listen uh, because mm. it's, it, you know, hopefully I'm thinking some of them rub off on me, you know? Yeah, wow. I know. I know the feeling. Yep. <laughs> wow. That, that, that's super encouraging just to hear yeah. just that you guys have a community of ideas and that's as we are. We we ex mm. like us as a group here. We experience that on a daily because we all exactly. talk daily and we share. Yep. And um, I think we're all better for it. Too. Yeah, we exactly. are. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Always grateful yep. to be around other creative, brilliant. Minds, Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Well, I can't yep. I can't stress enough to people that you know if you're locally not necessarily around people that you feel are uplifting you, 
you should really seek seek out a community that can uplift you in that way. Like if you feel like your ideas are being stifled in any way, you should seek out like-minded individuals that are pushing you forward, not holding you back because that's really how humanity grows, you know? And that and that's exactly what happened with Corey the other day with his whole art process that he expounded upon us, told us detail by detail, gave us all that. But I want to segue into something. Uh, the you you have a new drum machine coming. Can we can we nail down a? Uh, <laughs> a, a really I feel like you keep going back to that. <laughs> <laughs> you keep going back to that. I'll do better than that. Oh wait 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 wait. Hold on hold on Bryce. Bryce might be Bryce might be bearing fruit. So wait what? What is this? Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Don't ever come at me like that again, you guys. <laughs> don't ever come Oh, man. Okay, okay so, so from what I saw, from what I saw from, from, from beyond was... <laughs> I saw some two, dopeness. I saw two dopeness. main layers. I yeah, saw, yeah, I, yeah. I saw dopeness. Yeah, I it, saw was, a it was. It was nuts. Or... My brain is already exploding. Dude, my I'm brain already is... processing. <laughs> yeah, my brain is... to... I'm already just trying to learn <laughs> how to use it without it even being out. Exactly. I'm just like, oh man, <laughs> UI is so, so popping through nuts. the brain. So, so I want to ask this, Roger. Do we do we have a like <laughs> an approximate release date or, or like a <laughs> time frame? You know? Oh yeah. Okay, it's, go for uh, it. It will it will be released four years ago. Boy, there it is. There it is. Right there. Ooh. See, I told you, Roger is always in the future. <laughs> no, but no, but that. But see what? Oh my gosh! It's Yo, like the Terminator drum machine coming back. No, from, no, from no. The because future. because the possibilities of something like that, when it comes to things like physical modeling, when it comes to like. Yeah. Oh my god. Don't my start god. talking about physical modeling dude, again. No, We're no. going to go down that road again. No, dude, it's because cuz you know me. You know how much I desire to like duplicate a drum in yes, synthesis. Yes, I know. And I know. We're like both my, there. We're both yeah, there, we're, but we're we've both... been told so many times. It's hard it's well, hard hold, to do. Hold on. It's let's, hard let's to capture. Do. Let's capture this moment for a second. You just showed us what. <laughs> oh, it's, it's uh it's one of the uh, prototypes of the drum machine. I'm Do you regret oh, showing us that already? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, he does, no, he does not regret showing us that, Ken. No, he does not. I'm speaking for no. Roger now. He doesn't regret. Showing <laughs> us. Jeez, shut up, Ken. Roger, Roger, we are ready. I just let you know the whole world is ready. If you have any hey. doubts, I'm letting you know. Hey, I, I well, you know, in the ideal case, I would have a company and I'd have a lot of engineers and all this sort of stuff. Uh, but you know, in, 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 at heart, I'm a musician. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't really like having employees. When I had my first company, I had 55 employees, and that drove me nuts. Mm. Uh, and you know, when you've got that monthly nut that's so heavy, you got to pay everybody's salaries. They're supporting families. Uh, you know, you gotta. You don't have the chance to just take a break and 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 do things at your own pace. Yeah. And, and yet, the best things I've done are when I had the freedom to create at my own pace. And so. Uh, you know, I, I like the idea now of, of being able to keep my expenses very low and, uh, uh, and, and, and create at my own pace. It yeah. does take more time, but it makes me feel more like I'm a musician. I'm making an album, then I'm making another album, and I'm making another album. You know? No, that's, that's great. Keep, just yeah. know that you have 
four beta testers here just in case you know just just ready to go man hey hey roger i do want to um bring up some some conversational stuff about about drum stuff because that's who you are and people there's going to be a lot of people that want to know this stuff so i i do want to dig into it what's your thoughts on ppq and how how tight uh, resolution needs to be in general because one of the things about the tempest that was interesting was that you drop back to 96 ppq as opposed mm. to going to like higher resolutions of 960 and that sort of thing so my my question to you about this is just um what what's your thinking on that and, and you know i i don't want to get too specific about swing or anything but just resolution in general Mm, That's right. Question. In Tempest, it was 384th notes, so it was 96. Uh, my feeling is um, that it doesn't really matter, uh, and, and because all the great recordings that you've heard of drum machines, uh, with the exception of uh, Jay Dilla, um, were made with quantized beats, uh, and those those are right on the money. And in fact, those are down to uh, effectively like uh, um, 24. Uh, parts per quarter yeah. note yeah. And, and as long as you know, there's, there's a tremendous amount of mythology about timing and shifting notes forward and backward and all that stuff uh, my feeling yeah. my feeling is that um not only just from making drum machines and making beats and all that uh, but also my earlier work as a musician and listening to drummers play and all that stuff is it's more important that the drummer play it the same way each bar or each phrase uh then then to shift things around because what happens is you adapt to it you start to trust it and and so uh, and the other musicians for example the bass player is playing with the drum the drummer if he has to change his rhythm or his swing feel or something like that to match the drummer because the drummer is uh speeding up or slowing down or changing the feel along he can't trust it but if you if it's in uh as long as he plays it the same way if there is a groove there it's most important that it be the same each time, which of course is easy for machines to do because they know exactly what to do. Absolutely. So my feeling is it's far more important to have subtle degrees of swing. Uh, and as long as you just um, line up your samples, trim the start of your samples and your code is tight. So things, the sounds play exactly when they're supposed to play. I don't think uh, all that matters. But then again, there's this, there's a, quite a, a um, debate uh, about the, the J. Dilla school. Uh, so, about how, uh, you know, not using quantized and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah. so yeah. As, as a drummer, there's a beauty of being locked in and also being unlocked at the same time. For sure. Yes. The, the ability to, to uh, your self-resolution have control over that, right? Yeah. And when it came to, like, the NPCs and when it came to any sequencer that's out now having the ability to turn quantize off is just mm. beautiful it's just beautiful but the i do believe that certain sequencers have to have a certain vibe like they have mm. to have a certain vibe not every sequencer should sound the same because then you should only just have one sequencer because it's going to sound like every other sequencer so like that that whole jay dilla vibe again comes to from something you said in the beginning it's not necessarily the machine that sounds a certain way it's mm -hmm. the programmer it's the guy making the music behind it is what causes that vibe to happen because they make decisions that point the machine in a certain way 
Well, yeah, it's interesting if you listen to some of Jay Dill's recordings. To my ears, uh, they just sound like a bad drummer sometimes. Yes. Uh, but sure. Jay Dill had tremendous ideas, and there were these sounds coming in, the musical ideas that would come together. Uh, and um, and I think when I hear people that copy Dill's style, uh, they're intending to make the beat in my to my ears sound like a bad drummer. Uh, you know, it's it's call uh, ragged uh, but you listen to it and everything works together and it becomes a style sure uh, uh, kind of like what you, you were know, saying Corey is that uh, you know if, if the music is good enough then all the elements of that um, mm -hmm. uh, are associated with that goodness and the, the truth is is that you know uh, anything can be called good or bad it's all subjective yeah. Yeah. and um, uh, but uh, and, and I think university people uh, uh, appreciate Jay Dilla's contribution and and his uh, his moving off the norm. So um, what I'm saying is not that I don't think his stuff sounds bad or empirically or objectively is bad bad timing, but rather when I first listened to it, I thought, well, some of that stuff sounds like a drummer uh, who's not that great. But Absolutely. Then again, yeah. after a while, you get no, no, it. no, def definitely. Yeah. But I think even even in that, there's expressions of music that you don't really hear in common 4-4 four, four music or other things there's 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 uh when i talk about music i like to talk about a sentence so there's words in that sentence that haven't been able to be expressed in other genres that when sure. dilla that and d'angelo came up with this vibe mm -hmm. certain feelings were able to when the snare and the clap is behind the snare it gives it a little bit more tension yeah, it's just like when you when you're saying words, you're saying a sentence. There's sentiment there that you can pick up on the cues. But I think Q, Q, Questlove said it best. Like even he said, like when he first heard Dilla or it was Dilla or uh, D'Angelo, it may have been both. He said this about, but he 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 heard the way they were kind of doing an offbeat drumming thing that he would have never thought to do, but he thought sound good. And he was like, wait, are you allowed to? Are we allowed to do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the yeah. exact same. Uh, ex it was like, are we yeah. Like, let me let me check the music rules. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But I but I definitely hear what Roger's saying. There are some people that like push it purposely past that. They're, oh like, yeah. I think yeah. eloquent elo eloquent is a good example of that like some some of his stuff is just pushed. That too inflection far. that inflection yeah. is is very purposeful. But at the same time, what I wonder is. Have you ever been involved in like doing testing to try to figure out, okay, like I have a great session drummer, right? Somebody who's well-practiced and try to figure out what's their actual resolution. Have you ever tried to like, just try to really determine like how accurate is accurate kind of mm. thing? Good question. Yeah, I've done some simple things, but I've never, I've never done an exhaustive study on it. Uh, for example, take someone's uh, beat and, um, uh, turned into MIDI events and then measured the timing and all those. I took it more from the other way. I just said that I've got something here that, that feels right to my right, ears right, and to yeah. other people who did it. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'll, I think that, that works. <laughs> That's one of the things that I, I always kind of, like we talked about Dave earlier and uh, Rossum. And, and that's one of the things that I always kind of 
um, spoke to me is whenever I've talked to him about like circuit design and, and his sample chips and that sort of thing is that he always spoke from a musical perspective of, well, I want to drop out bits and I want to drop out information that doesn't matter relative to actual music, you know, actual musicality. So if you would compare his samplers and, and his um, the sonic character of a lot of his things, they would sound different at the same 12-bit as other things. Now, granite 12-bit to me is more noise floor and that sort of thing, but like the, the tone of his samplers would have this certain musical character versus someone who would just look at it and say, okay, this is how many parameters I have. I'm going to put it flat across the board. When you take a musician, you know, such as like yourself, because you are a musician, and you apply musician ideals to designing something, you get a little bit skewed relationship there. Well, it's it's true. I think you know one of the problems bigger companies have is that they've got the marketing department and they've got the engineering department, and then the communication between them is horrible because they pretty much speak different languages anyway. Yeah. Uh, and I often Amen. found that in early, <laughs> I often <laughs> found that early uh, Japanese products from sort of the Yamahas and the Rolands is that. Uh, you know, marketing could come up with a list of features and engineering just put a button for each one. <laughs> you know, it didn't make any sense. And, and, you know, and they would take them three or four iterations to get it right. Uh, but it's um, that's one of the things about and it's nice about having it in one head is that um, uh, uh, in the worst case, I just have an internal conflict. But otherwise, the communication works pretty well. Better if that answered the question. <laughs> no, that that, so, uh, that was clear for me. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I appreciate that, that information. And um, I think we are coming up on our time here. Yeah. Yeah, we, we've been about. going long. But listen, I, I do want to say, Roger, thank you so much thank for you. coming oh, on. This was thank incredible. So this yeah. was amazing. Well, and before amazing. we go, I want to be sure to, that, you know, so Roger, we talked about, firstly, thank you for all the great history and great antidotes and stories and sharing the, the prototype for the new drum machine with us. And uh, what's the future hold for Rogelin Designs? Yes, please. Well, it's it's I, I I'm really excited about uh, Linstrument, uh, and it seems to be this wonderful little box that uh, finds interesting and smart and creative people all over the world, um, and uh, and it's really nice. It's created a community. Our mm -hmm. our forum uh, mm -hmm. has some of the brightest and most creative people on it, and it's, and it's really a lot of fun. And it seems to uh, attract people who um, not only see it for what it is, but what it can be, because all the software for it is open source. So anyone can customize that's it a, wow. to do that, That's a slight question that I have to ask you about the, the Linstrument. So you have a smaller version of the Linstrument that's a little bit more affordable yeah, now for a, the guys like me who, who, yeah. who are yeah. struggling artists. Um, so <laughs> I have a question about that. If, if I get two Linstruments, can you use them in tandem? Well, they both have MIDI output, so you can mix that into your DAW, I suppose. But mm -hmm. you know, actually, the I don't think you need to have two. I think the the, the large one is fine for two-handed play, so mm -hmm. it's it's not that uh, not that bad. Well, the uh, reason why I bring that up is more like, a, oh, I buy one now because I can afford a small one now. <laughs> I buy a, a small one later, no, and that these, sort of thing. Well, well, the these differences are, are 128 keys versus 200 keys, right? Sure. Is that basically, just yeah. the difference. Yeah, yeah, and basically underneath that surface, it's a continuous sensing surface. It's just that mm -hmm. on top is this molded silicon rubber surface that uh, delineates the, the positions into uh, specific uh, notepads. Yeah, and I'm, that's why oh, you yeah. can do this. I'm, I'm one. I gotta figure it out. 
I got to so, figure out how to get one. Yeah, now that just makes me want two things: the the instrument and uh, the uh, tempest, which tempest is yeah, always. So this is this has been good and bad for the pockets. So. <laughs> Hey Roger, I, yeah. I want to bring something up, and I'm gonna I'm gonna bring this up in a way that kind of puts you a little bit on the spot, because that's, that's like I like to get punched in the face, so so yeah. I'll be that guy. So we had a question in the chat earlier about, hey, we've had some really great guests, and we have both between this show and the Synth Summit show, uh, we've had some really wonderful legends on the air. Would you ever be open to doing like a a group chat like this where we bring on like Tom, Dave, you know, Dave, you know, Dave Rossum, Dave, all, all the Daves. There's so many Daves. <laughs> but no, like just bringing on a few of you guys and just kind of having a chat because I think that that would be a wonderful thing to see how you guys, you know, kind of coerce in, in, in that way. Sure, that's good to me. In fact, if you got nine of us together, we could do play Hollywood Squares. That's right. That's right. And, and, and listen. Yeah. I'm winning every time. Just so No, you're not. <laughs> you're losing as long as you keep hitting that desk yeah. with that spring oh, that microphone stand. By the no. next show, I'll have boom, a new boom, mic boom. stand just this so is, that everybody knows. Hey, Ken, just hook up a contact mic to your stand and use it as a gate. Yeah. Listen, no you think I won't? <laughs> well, Roger, Roger, thank you so much for your time. Thank exactly. You so thank you, Roger. We can appreciate I, uh, you. Can I play yeah. you out? Sure. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I, I always was a fan of, of uh, a blues harmonica player like Norton Buffalo. So mm -hmm. here's an instrument, blues harmonica. Thank Roger, wait, 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 no, 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 no. What, what instrument were you playing? Where was that harmonica? Oh, that's actually in. I have a free downloadable sounds file for Apple's Logic or Mainstage, and it's on my site under the Getting Started page. And all that is is an FM synthesizer running through a guitar amp model with a little reverb on it. But the thing is, you've got three dimensions of control. I've got pressure. I've got pitch. Yeah. And I've got timbre in the y-axis. So you put all this together and it has a, uh, a very expressive sound. Yo, I've, nev I've never wanted to be a harmonica playing hillbilly until right now. I actually have <laughs> wanted to be that for a long time. But, you know, I've got, I've got issues with my DNA that it's like if I go down that path, I might not come back. Yeah, so. Ken, <laughs> Ken, don't, don't do that, Ken. Don't, don't do that it, That was Ken. great. Well, cool. We're gonna we're gonna call it one again. Thank you, Roger Lynn, and Thank thanks so the whole panel and my crew for for making this a great interview. And uh, for those of you that are watching, come back next week because we'll be talking about we'll be talking to Dave Rossum and Marco Alpert of uh, Rossum Electro and formerly of Emu Systems. And yes. uh, oh, ask, yeah. ask ask Marco about this quote from him. Okay, he once said to me, "If it weren't for Nam shows, companies would never finish products." 
Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. If it weren't for NAM shows, companies might never announce products early. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Anyway, it's been great. Corey, thank you much, very much for inviting me on your show. And um, uh, thanks for all and goodbye now. Thanks oh, for thank coming. You so much. Hey, don't end your call. Don't end your call yet. We're going to end the broadcast first.